Well, did you know that Father Christmas, though a fictional character, is actually based on a story of a true man who lived? This man was named St. Nicholas of Myra. And um, where uh, he lived was 4th century Turkey. And I think there's a a picture of him that's going to come up. Um, That's exactly how he looked. Uh, Quite a stern man. Um, But that is the true Father Christmas. And um, what it was was that um, when his parents died, and they died quite early, they left him an inheritance. And um, he was a, a priest at a young age. And so because he was given all these resources, he didn't want to keep them to himself. He wanted to share them around. But he wanted to do so in anonymity so that people wouldn't be thanking him, but they would be thanking God that their prayers were answered. And so what he had the tendency to do would be he would throw bags of money into people's homes. That'd be a crazy thing. You turn your backs and it flies across and you'd be like, it's money. Results. It even actually somehow get it down the chimney. Hence, the whole chocolate coins and chimney thing. Um, and so, uh, he did that so he didn't be spotted. So, um, anyone want some chocolate coins? There we go. Actually, you two. Yeah, no, I'm going to do that because we have had instances of people getting clobbered with uh, things in the past. So, let's keep it out at the front. <clears throat> now, many Christians are torn um, as to whether or not do we play the whole Father Christmas game. And uh, I'm delighted there's no children. Let me tell you, Father Christmas is a fictional character. Um, But what do we do with kids? Do we go along and create the fun and the memories, but then ultimately tell them he isn't real? Or do we just keep clear of the whole Father Christmas and just stick simply focused on Jesus? Well, that's a question for each family to decide as to what you do. And I think really, as long as Christ is the center, whether you put Father Christmas as a fun story on the side, it's down to you. But as long as he doesn't come the center, because let's be honest, for most people at Christmas who don't know Jesus, it's all about Father Christmas. Now, over this Christmas season, we've had a very loose theme uh, about looking at Christmas carols and unpacking their meaning. But what I've decided this week is to do something different. I've decided to pick about a song about Father Christmas and challenge the legitimacy of the song's lyrics by contrasting them with the gospel message. And so we've got a little clip of the uh, the song uh, just to whet your appetite. Michael Bublé's version, surely the best. Um, But he's making a list and checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. So if Father Christmas is the judge of whether you're naughty or nice, how does he define naughty or nice? Well, he weighs your behavior for that year on a scale of basically which have you been more good at. Have you been good? Have you been nice? And so he looks at the, 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 the scale. 
But at this stage, we've got to kind of come to Father Christmas and say, look, that's a red card, Father Christmas. You're out of there. That is completely unbiblical. In fact, this whole sense of scales balancing how you've done is something that the Buddhists believe as karma. Muslims call it the day of judgment, and the ancient Greeks and Egyptians called it the weighing of souls. You see, every religion aside from Christianity that has been, we believe as Christians, been created by man, has been conjured up, always comes back to the sense of balancing good against bad as to whether you make it into heaven. Christianity is the complete opposite. It's not about your works, it's about Jesus Christ. So from the outset, we're going to cancel Father Christmas's balancing scale of naughty or nice. And instead, we're going to look at the judgment we receive from God based on the way God ordained it. After all, God is the creator, he's our father, and so we should be looking to our creator to determine how we should behave and how he views us. Now, I'm going to take some creative liberty here, so please go with me on this one. Don't draw any theological meaning from what I'm about to say, okay? The key word is imagine, okay? Imagine. Now, if someone literally turns onto YouTube or Spotify, now they will think we are a church that is confused. But uh, I've set the scene, imagine, okay? So imagine it's the early hours of Christmas Day. Father Christmas, he's going around in his sleigh and he's got gifts or coal to put in someone's stocking. And he comes and he says, God, I don't know what to do anymore. I've realized this balancing thing is nonsense. How am I supposed to deem if someone is naughty or nice? Or let's use the more theological terms of good or evil. God, what do I do here? Can you give me some direction? And so we're going to unpack what actually God has set out for us. And so, in effect, what we're looking at is when we open the stocking on Christmas morning, but more of a reflection of our lives, what do we find in it? This is my stocking. It's, it's, it's about 20 years old. My sister made it. It's got my name written on. Oh, what's James going to get? What's James going to get when he opens up his stocking and Father Christmas is liaised with God and it's like, is James naughty or nice? Is he good or evil? Well, surely I'm a pastor. You can't have a pastor who's naughty and evil. There are good gifts in here. So let's see. There'll be no call. It's all about the gifts. So let's, let's look at the first gift we've got. It's coal. He's made a mistake. There's, there's toys in here. No, it's coal. No, no, de de definitely. No, it's all coal. It's all coal. What's going on there? I'm not evil. I'm not nasty. But the truth is, is that's what I do deserve. I deserve call because if we're looking on a, a good or evil, the truth is, is I am broken. I sin. I fall short of the glory of God. 
And here's the truth. So do each of us. Whilst we expect wonderful, bountiful gifts, actually based on our behavior, and there's good news coming, but on our behavior, we deserve call. I'm conscious that I'm like a choir boy with his voice breaking mid-song. Mid, mid uh, the, the illness has crept over me. But, um, so, but let's actually see who says this. What's in the Bible? In Romans 3, it's quite a long scripture, said, it goes like this, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. So based on our acts and deeds, we fall short of God's glory and we deserve a lump of coal not, and a wonderful gift. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in the past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God this to demonstrate, um, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in the sight in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Now, if you don't know Jesus yet, you may be surprised to actually find out that you are flawed, that you ultimately don't go to heaven because you have kind of done more good than bad. Because it doesn't work like that. It's not a, a balancing scale. It's not karma. It's actually, we're all broken, we're all sinful. But those who believe in Jesus are not only just uh, made good, they're made completely righteous so that when God sees us, he doesn't see our brokenness. He sees us forgiven and restored because Jesus died for our sins. You see, we've all made a mess of things and we've all fall, fallen short of the glorious God standard that God sets. And the scale of judgment orality, naughty or nice, just is, is just as much as a myth as Father Christmas. But as I said, the story doesn't end there. You see, in love, God, God's only son, Jesus, became fully human. Born of a virgin without sin. That's what Christmas is about. That's the cute little Jesus, baby Jesus in the manger. For, most, for a lot of people, they think that's all it is. That's just the beginning. You see, Jesus grew up and he fulfilled God's law flawlessly. He was sinless, without blemish. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose from the dead on the third day. See, Jesus died on that cross and he took all of our wrongdoing on his shoulders so that we could actually go to him and invite Jesus into our life and ask for forgiveness. All the sin, all the mistakes, all the wrongful things that we have done and committed are forgiven. And we are then restored in the eyes of God. You see, there's an element of justice that God can't just say to people, 
look, you're really sinful, you've made a mess of it, but I'll wave you in anyway. See, that's not justice. That's not justice. God told us how to live. We've fallen short of that. And for him to say, never mind, come in. It undermines the, the authority and the guidance he's given us. So there's got to be a judgment over people for how they've lived. But the judgment is taken by Jesus on his shoulders when he died for our sins. And so that if we invite him into our lives and ask for forgiveness, then the judgment is paid for our sin by Jesus. We don't have to go through the pain and the suffering of being condemned. We can just ask for forgiveness. So if you're not a Christian here today, that is the, the message of God, the Christmas. That's the message of Easter. That's the gospel message in its simplest form. That God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you so that he was willing to take all the wrongdoing of us on his shoulders and die for us so that we don't have to pay the price of being condemned for our sin. Jesus was willing to do that for us. <clears throat> And today what I want to do is I want to look at two theological words to help us further understand the grace we receive by following Jesus. This message and the song after is all about grace. And for many people, they struggle with the word grace. You'd think, oh, you become a Christian. Christians find grace easily, understand it. No, they don't. Because grace goes against all of our natural human inclinations to receive undeserved favour isn't right. We work on the basis of the scales. I've done more good than bad, and so, um, so I then get what I deserve. But in the scenario of our lives, we've done infinitely more bad than good, and, but instead of getting what we deserve... We get the greatest gift ever given, which is Jesus' death and resurrection. And so that's grace, undeserved favour. So the two words we're going to look at are legalism and justification. That's a heavy sermon, flipping heck, James. Legalism and justification. Now, we'll all have heard of these words. And you may even be able to give a definition of what they mean. But I'm not looking for an understanding of what they mean in definition. I'm seeing... Do you understand what legalism and justification is in relative to your own life? Not being able to write the model answer, but do you understand how these things impact on your life? And so I'm going to start with legalism. Now, legalism is behaving as if you can earn God's forgiveness through performance. Legalism is behaving as if you can earn God's forgiveness through your performance. Now, have you ever seen on, on TV, on variety shows, and this is something that was very popular for some reason in the 70s and 80s, of plate spinning. Now, plate spinning, if you don't know, it's a man, and it nearly is always a man. You don't find women plate spinners. So it's generally a man for some weird reason. And what he does is um, he carefully positions a plate on top of a stick and he spins it, and the rod's bending, he spins it, and he sticks it in the ground, and then he moves on on to the next and to the next. And so what he tries to do is get about eight or ten plates spinning along, and by the time he's got to the last one, the first one's wobbling, so he runs back and he spins that and spins that and spins that, and he just keeps going. And 
it's thoroughly useless. But that's what plate spinning is about. But I'm conscious that um, in a group this large, particularly the international community, there'll be some people who don't really have never seen plate spinning. And so I just thought I would show you what a master plate spinner looks like. It's a real plate. The, the, the people on telly, they use metal plates. You ready? Okay, maybe I'm not the master plate spinner. Let's watch a video to see how it is done. If you watch the rest of that clip, that guy is deranged. He is an absolute nutter. Um, and really, plate spinning, well, it's a stupid thing to do in real life in terms of that act, but plate spinning. And I want to use plate spinning as a helpful picture of how legalism can hijack a Christian. Okay, and let me just go back, because I read this from a great book, and I, I've read this chapter literally ten times because I struggle with words and then it comes back a theological word and it's like what does it mean again I've forgotten legalism behaving as if you can earn God's forgiveness through your performance so the life of a legalist can become just as frenetic as the plate spinner's performance the plates we spin can be various activities that are good such as reading our bible praying coming to church sharing the gospel these are good and essential parts of things that God's called us to as Christians, if they're pursued for the right reasons. You see, often without realizing it, we can allow a dangerous shift in our life to take place in our mind and our heart, where we change what God intended as a means of experiencing grace, as a means of earning grace. So instead of being a further expression of the confidence of God's saving work in our lives, these spiritual activities that God calls us to can, be simply, can become simply spinning plates that we feel we need to maintain. And I'm not going to ask you to put hands up, but we've all been guilty sometimes of just, oh, I've got to read the Bible or else I'll feel bad got to come to church or else I'll, I'll feel bad. So I want you to imagine two Sundays, right? Uh, it's January, we've got the first Sunday of the, the month and then the second Sunday. Now the first Sunday you come, that week you've read your Bible each day, you've attended the midweek Bible service and studied the Bible, you've not committed any high profile sins that you would struggle with, and you come to church, you sing your heart out with sincerity because you've had a good week. There are no plates on the floor. They're all spinning beautifully. Good Sunday. Second Sunday, you've hardly spent any time with God. You're painfully aware of the sinful behavior that you've committed during the week. You've not bothered coming to church. You've not bothered praying. In fact, on Wednesday, you made a real mess of things at work and you really just went off at someone and shouted at them publicly. 
and you were so embarrassed at yourself that you spent Thursday and Friday beating yourself up about it. Not going to God to forgiveness, but actually be like, I need to do some punishment of myself. I need to tell myself how awful I am. And so you arrive at church feeling miserable, uh, and there are broken plates all around where you stand. In this scenario, you're hesitant to approach God, and you find it difficult to worship freely. You can't escape the feeling that God disapproves of you. Sound familiar? If we're honest, and I don't didn't expect a, a loud yes, but we've all been there. You may even be here on that second Sunday this week. And let me say this with gentleness and grace, because I've been here many a time. In fact, it's only recently God just completely broke this sense of, of you know, legalism in my own life. So I say this out of having worked through and will continue to work through because you go up and down. But if you see yourself up and down like those one first and second Sundays, your confidence hasn't been placed in the gospel. It's been based instead on your own performance. And when your performance slides, so does your peace and joy. In times like this, we're effectively saying, although we'd never actually publicly say this Jesus I'm grateful that you died on the cross for me but I don't think your sacrifice was sufficient enough I need to do some of my own sacrificing some of my kind of like whipping my back before I'm ready to come into your presence and be forgiven in effect you're saying to God that the cross wasn't enough Do you see such signs of legalism in your own life? Do you often find that you are more aware of your sin than of what Jesus accomplished on the cross? Do you think of God as disappointed with you rather than being delighted over you? Do you look at all the spinning plates in your life for your confidence, indeed even the right to approach God? If you answer yes to any of these questions, you've probably begun to live a life under the tyranny of legalism. But don't let this discourage you. See, God wants to rescue you from the joyless uh, futility of plate spinning through a right understanding of the gospel. You see, breaking free from legalism doesn't mean you stop reading the Bible or praying worshipping, sharing the gospel, coming to church. No, they're all great gifts that God has given us to keep us on track and focused on him. So legalism isn't, forget all that stuff. It's still doing all the things God's called us to, but as a way that we continue to receive and learn more about Jesus' grace than earning his grace. So that's legalism. We're all guilty of legalism. Again, you think, if I asked at the beginning, you know, who's legalistic? Oh, they're the Christians who don't watch movies, who, uh, who literally, you know, they, they, they'll never go to a shop on a Sunday. They're the legalists. No, we're all legalists to an extent because of our flawed humanity. The next word uh, we're going to look at is justification. 
Now, justification is not a word that we come across very often in our everyday vocabulary. It's actually an old Latin word that translates as administration of justice. Administration of justice. For example, have you ever heard someone say that they felt they were justified concerning a situation? Maybe you've said, I felt I was justified in my response. Or maybe, I think he was justified to feel that way. See, often justification is used in our culture to express an action or feeling that should be applauded or approved of. However, when we see, when we hear God talk about justification in the Bible, it has a very different, different explanation. Romans 5, 1 to 2 says, Since we have been made right in God's sight by Christ, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. You see, unlike the use of justification in everyday speech, God's understanding of justification is not based on how we feel or what we believe to be morally correct. Our justification is based on the acceptance of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The death and resurrection of Jesus. Not feelings or emotions, but actual an event in history that happened that frees us. The justification we have from Jesus is a free gift to us from God. Let me speak to those people who don't know Jesus. It's a free gift. You don't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. But you come in your broken state rather than having to come in a position where you think, I've had one of those good Sundays. I'm ready. No, you come to God normally in your most brokenness and say, I'm a mess. I want you to come into my life and show me how to live. So it's a free gift, but it's ready for you at any stage in your life, not when you feel you've got it together. So it's a free gift we receive by faith and enter into a relationship with him. Justification is our position before God, which permanently becomes ours at the time of conversion. You see, you'll never be more justified than the first moment you came to Christ. Justification is a single act. It's not a series of acts. It's not a progression. It's one act. When you give your life to Jesus, you are justified. You can't be more justified. If I'm, I've been a Christian and I've been a Christian for 36 years, I'm not more justified than someone who gives the life to the Lord this morning. Justification is a one-time thing that acts over your entire Christian life as you walk with God. You're either wholly, completely justified because of your relationship with Jesus, or you're wholly condemned in the sight of God. So we're all susceptible to the temptation of legalism. And we have to make a point of reminding ourselves that Jesus' work... Trumps any sense of us having to do anything. We have to do one thing that's actually the most significant thing we do in our lives. We just need to say, 
I want to walk in your ways. Can someone just hold the kids back for five minutes? So the next time you come to church or wake up on any given Sunday, conscious of your shortcomings, your sin, your unworthiness, you don't need to spend time beating yourself up, asking God for his forgiveness once you have done your own beating up of yourself. God doesn't want to beat you up. He just wants to continue to just see you as his children and we just ask for forgiveness and we just washed again in the blood of Jesus, which means God doesn't see our brokenness. He sees us as, as restored children as Jesus's, well, Jesus' brother, Jesus' sister. So today I have a Christmas gift for all of you. And it's not something you, you would have thought of this morning and have thought, oh, I want that. It's not something fancy. It's not something special. It's got a tiny monetary value. But it's my hope that it'll provide you with a priceless reminder that even though you didn't deserve God's love, you've been forgiven and adopted into his family because you were justified by your faith in Jesus. So over here is some coal. Um, and coal's quite dirty and dusty, so I've actually covered this in PVA glue for you, okay? So you can put this on your mantelpiece without making a mess. And, on, on, and so basically, it's to remind you that what do we deserve? We deserve a piece of coal. But on the coal is the cross. And the cross is to say, even though I deserve a piece of coal because of my fallen nature, Jesus died for my sin. And what does that mean? Well, that means that instead of getting a call, we receive the greatest gift of an intimate, purposeful relationship with Jesus so that we live on purpose, you know, with a purpose here on earth, but we spend an eternity with Jesus in heaven. And so as we sing this song, we're going to um, come forward. And I want you to each take a piece of call just to reflect on the fact that we've been given the greatest gift. Before I do that, and maybe Sue can start playing on the keys, I just want to actually um, pray a prayer that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus but would like to invite him into your life, can I say, uh, you, you hear pastors say this all the time, there's no better time to do this than now. But there isn't. It doesn't matter what day it is. It's the fact that when your heart is pounding and you know God is speaking to you and you just the sense of, oh, I want I want to be forgiven. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be made right in the far, my far, heavenly Father's eyes because of my relationship with Jesus. Then now's the time we're going to pray. And what I'd say is just pray this out. You don't have to shout it. But just speak these words out. I'll say a line, you say a line, and after, just invite Jesus into your life. <clears throat> Dear Jesus, I want to come to you this morning. I want to say sorry for all the wrong I've done. The mess I've made of many things. And I want to say, would you forgive me for my wrongdoing? 
I want you to be my closest friend. And I want you to show me how to live this day and for every day of the rest of my life so that I may honor you and glorify you in my life. And so that when I die, I will spend an eternity with you in heaven free from the burden of pain and suffering. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just with every head bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask if that's you and you've prayed that prayer for the first time and you've invited Jesus into your life, or maybe you've prayed it because you're just conscious that you've gone adrift and you're a long way from God. Can I just say, I'd love it if you just put your hand up just so I can see who you are. Not so I can draw attention to you, but just so I can pray for you afterwards. So if that's you and you prayed that prayer for the first time or you've recommitted your life, just, just raise your hand with no one looking other than myself at this moment. Praise God, praise God, praise God. There's three people. Anyone else? Anyone else? Praise God. I'm just going to give it another minute. Is there anyone else who wants to just give over the burden of carrying all this weight and anxiety and fear that you're sick and tired of this sense of, oh, will I be good or bad? What will happen when I die? Can I say that Jesus has made you on purpose for a purpose? And you can only know that purpose if you invite Jesus into your life. If you're purposeless and life's meaningless and you're miserable, but you want to have all clarity and direction and invite Jesus into your life, just raise your hand now. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Well, for those three people who raise your hands, don't dash off. Um, it'd be good to just touch base with you. Um, you know, give you a bite if you've not got one already. Um, but what we're going to do is, um, Billy, can you just give us a hand? Can you just put these trays out on the front? So we're going to sing, This is Amazing Grace. The whole Christmas message is about grace. So as you do, as you, what I want you to do is come forward as you feel ready. Pick up one of these pieces of coal. Take it home. Stick it by your bed, your mantelpiece. Even in the bathroom so that you're doing your teeth and you're just looking at it and reminded that I should get a piece of coal. But actually, I received the greatest gift because of Jesus dying on the cross. So maybe if you want, you can stand and worship. Maybe you want to sit down. Um, if you do want prayer, you can either you know, ask those that are around you to pray for you or maybe you want to come forward and I can pray for you. Um, but let's, let's just sing this song in adoration of God's grace.